Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Eric, as he said. I play the drums up here from time to time. And hi. And I'm going to be reading John chapter 16 out of the NIV version, um, the whole chapter. So starting from verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I, will, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved and have believed, loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to ask anyone your questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, in fact, 
has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thanks very much. And I know that reading through these passages at times can seem like a pretty large chunk, but at least there weren't 50 or 60 verses in this chapter, like some of our past. All right, let me pray. Father, um, could there be a way right now that we find ourselves on the walk that Jesus is taking with these disciples? Uh, Father, we're in this room, um, chairs, theater style, uh, could be potentially even much more of a stale academic environment. But Father, right now, these disciples are walking with you, talking with you, having an intimate encounter with you, being told the truth. Something's hard to hear. Something's hard to understand. Other things spoken very clearly. So Father, would we find ourselves in a position right now to feel the warmth and the power and the love of God as if he was walking with us through the courtyard out here at the 1840s Plaza. Father, may we figure out a way in our souls to connect to you today. Father, we don't want anything in our minds or in our hearts um, to take away from this moment. And so, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that, uh, that we hear and we understand. Amen. All right, so before I jump into John chapter 16, I need to acknowledge a couple of things. Number one, we need to go back into John 15. Um, but the last three Sundays, uh, from Lana to Paula to Lauren, they really walked us through just a, a, a section in John's gospel where Jesus was um, communicating to his disciples how much they are loved how much they are going to go through, but how much he was not going to let them go through it without him, even though it seemed like they were going to be without him. So there's so much in this particular passage of scripture that we're going to find is that it is a continuation of thought. And without going back and repeating everything that Lana shared, everything that Paula shared, everything that Lauren shared, I want us to agree on the fact that God is wanting to do something incredibly special in relationship with us. So in John chapter 15, Jesus said something to his disciples that I feel like is foundational for why John 16 is so important, okay? So this is a John 16 teaching out of John 15, and it says this, I have called you, say it louder, louder, confidently, Thank you, Kevin. Friends. Can everybody say the word friends? We're going to go back to preschool right now. Repeat friends. He's like, I am calling you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. So the statement that Jesus is saying, I have made known to you everything you have heard from my father is a passage of scripture out of the book of Psalms that should give you and I a depth of understanding to who Jesus has been 
and who God has been and what he's been trying to do with you and I and our humanity from all along. Because Psalms chapter 25 and verse 14, and I believe a really good translation of this is, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. So here we have the disciples, Jesus saying, you're my friends, and I have instructed you on everything my father has asked me to instruct you on. And in the Psalms, the psalmist is saying that God calls us friends and he's sharing with us the covenant of understanding with us. And so God has had a pattern of wanting to look you and I in the face and walk with us and talk with us as a friend would so that he could in friendship communicate to you and I the important things that God has had for us all along. So this Hebrew word in Psalms 25 verse 14 is this word sowed on the screen. So the word um, sowed, which is probably a very bad way of pronouncing the Hebrew language, and I'm, 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 I'm a, I wish some of our uh, Jewish-rooted families were here today. I could have asked for clarity on pronunciation before we got started. But here's, here's what this word means. It means intimate friend. So when you see in Psalms 25, the Lord is a friend, basically that word in Hebrew is an intimate friend. I'm not talking like an acquaintance. I'm talking about an intimate friend, one that would give you advice, one that intimately knows what's going on, one that you would feel comfortable sharing what's going on in your life with them because they're your intimate friend. They're one that would... that. This, it translates even in a part of Scripture to somebody that you share your secrets with. Now, mind you, many times we think about sharing our secrets. Generally, we think about sharing secrets that would be sin, like, oh, this is a secret in my life, and it's a sinful thing. But I, I want you to understand that sometimes you share secrets with your friends, but not because they're sinful, but because it's not time for everybody to know them yet. This is a secret activity. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be wrong or evil, but there's certain people in your life that um, you get tested on, like it's where couples sometimes where they have certain people that they go to first to say, guess what, we're pregnant. It's not a bad secret. It's just that that first trimester is a trying period of time. And so many times women will go up to other women and say, let me tell you a secret because I need to tell somebody intimately because I'm drawing you into relationship because until I get past that 12-week period, it's very likely that, that this could, this may or may not bring life. And so you're saying to somebody, listen, there's something very important going on in my life and I want to invite you in intimately to that. Others of you have people that, you know, it's like you've discovered something in your scientific discovery and it's somewhat secret because you don't want it to get out where somebody else could publish before you. And so you're wanting to share the joys of discovery but, or a fact or a truth that you've discovered and you're wanting to find people that you can draw into that. And so this idea of Psalm 25, as I'm trying to compare it to John 15, is that God is in a desired, intimate relationship with you and I. It was the Old Testament way. It's the New Testament way. So whether you're in the Old Covenant or you're in the New Covenant, there's a fact I want to get across to us today. Since God created Adam and Eve and humans in the Garden of Eden, he's walked with them in the cool of the day. What do you think he was doing 
He was sharing intimate love with them, instructing them, letting them know how things were done, and sharing the covenant, the words of God with them. And it's been something that he's been doing all along. God can become our close friend. Now, let me say this. This is part of the struggle. So part of the struggle is, is that you and I want to feel close to a, a supreme being, but we do not want the supreme being to control anything in our life. In our culture today, that's referred to as spirituality. So people are spiritual because they know that there's a power that they want to be connected to, but yet they don't want that power to have any authority over them. So I'm a spiritual person because I'm acknowledging something that's out there, but I don't want that spiritual person to be in right relationship with me because if that's the case, then it's probably going to change the dynamics of my life. So it's easier for me to be spiritual than it is to be in relationship. Now, um, I believe it was Aristotle that said it was impossible for humans to be in relationship with God because they have nothing in common. So I want to take a minute to talk about that because Aristotle is brilliant, but he's also stupid. So, so with that, there's um, what, what is happening with the disciples in John 15 and what the psalmist is saying in Psalms 25 and what the Old Testament, especially Genesis and Exodus, talking about Moses and what was happening in his life is connecting us to that powerful source that understands what real humans need, which is a real human connection to God. We need that type of intimacy. It says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, inside the tent of meetings, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. James chapter 2, verse 23 it says, and, and, and so it happened just as the scriptures say, which is a reference to Isaiah. Abraham believed God and God counted him as a righteous, counted him as righteous because of his faith. And he was even called the friend of God. Two words were popular in, the, in human history out of the Greek language for the word love. Obviously, eros, which is more the erotic, which is the, what I would say is the frontward facing love. It's where Two people look at each other eyeball to eyeball, and it's not just love, it's, it's the gazing into one another's eyes and the, the fluttering in the heart and all of this, but then there's also the philia love, which was the friendship love. So it's the posture of, am I looking face to face or am I shoulder to shoulder? Because the philia love was the love where people would be side by side looking at the same thing. And when people look at the same thing, generally you begin to find that there is a great friendship. C.S. Lewis actually shared about this friendship in some of his writings. And if you ever really want to begin to let your brain be challenged, I would encourage you to create a space in the year for you to just digest some of C.S. Lewis's writings. But one of the things that he was saying is that there's this explicit and this implicit statement in friendship. It's very simple. You too? not the band. Now, mind you, some people are like, oh, you like you 2 I like you 2 Let's be friends. But the phrase that C.S. Lewis was saying is, oh, you 2 It's like two people meet together in a museum. They're looking at a piece of art. Oh, you like this art. Oh, you too. 
or you meet and your seats are side by side at Oriole Park and Camden Yards, or you're sitting with somebody else in Raven Stadium and you're wearing the opposite opposition jersey, sort of like when Bryant goes wearing his Colts jersey. Occasionally, he'll find somebody else in the stadium and he's like, oh, you too. We should be friends because they're shoulder to shoulder looking at the same thing. And so this idea that I believe is innate in friendship is when two people find themselves looking at something together and they both have a desire for that thing together. So here's why I believe this is possible with God. So some biblical theology on why I feel like this is possible. Even though Aristotle thought it's impossible to be friends with God because you have nothing in common, I believe that it is possible, but let me start with God. Because God is a triune God. What does that mean? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? So there's this idea of Trinity, but, but even deeper than the word Trinity, I want you guys to hear me, okay? I know it's kind of hard sometimes. I know that our, our attendance is down and it's, it's a smaller room and I feel like I'm yelling at you, um, which I'm sorry, I don't know why. Maybe it was one too many cups of coffee. But here's the thing. We have a God that is plural. That means he's in relationship with himself. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are a community of people together. Not people, God, like God's like, what word describes the fact that there's a oneness? I, I even love the imagery that, that, there are, that there's these three equal characters that are in a dance of mutual submission. And if you've ever been to a major production with talented dancers, when you see dancers that have different roles on the stage, but they're dancing together and there's this sense of honoring different characters on the stage, but also at the same time celebrating the art and the beauty of each dancer, you can get into the art world of dance and just be blown away by watching more than one dancer at one time dancing out a song. And I just want to tell you that for all of eternity, our God has been in friendship. He wasn't by himself. So he knows what it is like to have relationship. Augustine actually says this. He, he went on in some of his writings. Now, Augustine has been accused of a lot of things, but I kind of like what he's saying here. He, <coughs> excuse me. Um, he's saying that if God was a unipersonal God, where it was just Father God, no Son, no Spirit, and God was by himself, then when he created angels and humans and everything else that we see, he's like, then God would have been creating relationship out of his power, not out of his love. Because God would have been lonely. God would have been by himself. God would have just been saying, I need to create something so that it can be in community with me. But he's saying, if we come from the understanding that God understood perfect relationship first, if we understood that God knew what it was like to have conversation and to have intimacy and to have power and wonder, and then the world came out of that, then you can believe that the world was birthed out of love and not power. And I, and I want you and I, whether that's a challenging statement to you or not, I believe it is something that you and I need to let refresh in our spirit. Because no matter what the world is saying to you and I right now, the truth is, is that everything that we see was born out of love. Not the ways that we're acting towards each other, the sin nature that's in the world, 
But the diversities between us in this room, the way that the world and the universe was created in the first place, was not created by a God that was trying to show off his power, but was a God that was in love and was birthing things out of love into the world. And so you and I, we need to understand that since all of eternity, God has been in friendship all of eternity. He has never known a time without friends, without intimacy. He's never known a time where communication wasn't important. He's never known a time where love and relationships wasn't central. That has been who he's been all along. It is primary to God to be in friendship and to be in relationship with others. So one more thing about this possibilities of us being friends with God is the sheer reflection on creation. You and I were born in whose image? Why do you and I create friendship? Why do you and I seek relationships? Why do you and I enjoy expressing our love to other people, being generous, compassionate, and kind? Because that's who God is. We have his image. He's a God that was grown or, or like has existed in perfect love. And he put that image into you and I. And so there's no, there's, there's nothing in this world that should convince us that we were not designed to be like our God, even though every other world religion does not express God the same way that we express our God and our faith, because we desire friendship. We desire relationships. You and I love when people tell us the truth. You and I love perfect communication. You and I love when we have the details and the facts of the things happening around us. Why? Because we're used to being shoulder to shoulder with people and living a life saying, oh, you too. You too. And so when Jesus says in John 15 to the disciples, now, mind you, this is in John 15, and we're in, well, we're not quite to John 16, but it's not until John 17 that these words start to become about us. This is to Jesus' walking disciples. Like, he's specifically talking to this group of men that have been following him, and he's saying to them, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Why could Jesus say that is true? Because he did it. He understands. He can say that as a fact because it's not theory. He understood perfect relationship. He understood perfect power in love. And he understood what that was like to be expressed. And when he came to be physically present with his disciples and with the world and to fulfill promises made to Israel and then fulfill promises made to every living, breathing thing on the planet, he came and could say, there is no greater act of love than for somebody to lay their life down for their friends because Jesus could look at his disciples and say to them, you too. You're going to be challenged with this. You too. But let me just tell you, it's the greatest thing you could ever do. You too. 
And and we're getting to John 16. But in John 14, it says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. Can I go there? Nobody gave me permission other than my daughter. (laughs) Not one of you changed your facial expressions at all. But can I just say that the key to a friendship with Jesus is obedience. All right, I'm, I'm, this is a long pause for a moment, just for a minute. Because I want us to understand this. Is there is a why to obedience that can be told from the story of friendship. It makes sense from a story of friendship. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, or even in my own life personally, that I felt distant from God because I was being disobedient or somebody that was coming to me for spiritual counsel was being disobedient because disobedience separates friends. That doesn't mean that God is the one doing the separating. That's a whole other discussion. But you and I feel the distance from the people we love when there's a spirit of disobedience in it. Married couples experience disobedient, broken relationships when people are disobedient to the covenant agreement they made with one another. And so friendship, house responsibilities, roommates, when you have a don't put dishes in the sink, put them in the dishwasher policy, and a roommate is disobedient to that, it creates tension. Even on the lowest level of don't leave your shoes in a pile or pick up your clothes or don't leave the pizza box on the... Like, there's so many ways in which you can communicate, but if you're disobedient to the guidelines of the shoulder-to-shoulder relationship, it creates distance. And so... As I said earlier, we can be friends with God because God designed us to be like him, but he is not like us. So he cre- we're created in his image, but yet we're like him, but we're not. We need to understand that because he knows what it's like to be fully us. He is the incarnate. We're going to celebrate it at Christmas time. Emmanuel, God with us. God took on flesh and blood, lived 100% in our skin, knows everything that you and I could ever know about life and pain and this world and sin and bad governments and all the different things. He knows it all. He experienced it all. But yet, God is also something else. God is not just like us. He is more than us. And so if we're in a relationship with something that is more than us, we can't just treat God like one of the boys or like one of the girls. Like, I don't know how you, how you would, but like it's, he's not just one of us. He's more. And so if that's true, here's the, here's, here's the filter through friendship. All right. Two things. When you're in friendship, whether human or divine, Friends, if you obey them, you're becoming more like them. Here's an instance. My wife is probably one of the top 10 people on the planet for hospitality. My wife can make somebody come into our home and feel like they are present in our home. It's a safe space. It's a fragrant space. It's an inviting space. There's, you, you don't, you're not in our space long before you feel like, you may, am I a part of the family? And so because... 
I am in proximity with her and my children are in proximity with her, guess what? We are becoming better at hospitality. Because when she says, light candles, or when she says, vacuum the floor, or when she says, set the food up this way, put food on different elevations, or we need warm drinks, we need cold drinks, we need ice, we don't, like, she can think about everything from the front of the house to the back of the house to the bathroom, making sure there's toilet paper on the rolls. Like, everything goes into place, and she can say, go touch up the bathroom, and we now know the expectation. She can say, touch up the living room. We know how to even pull the tissues up out of the box so they're presented properly. And it's not because she's a vicious authoritarian, but she has proven to us that she knows how to love other people. And out of obedience to her, we've become like her. It's not a bad thing being obedient to a friend, is it? You can become like them. The other thing that you'll find in this is that when you're in a friendship with somebody, that friendship doesn't work if you don't let the other person be who they are. Think about that just for a minute. Now, if your friends are thieves, okay, like if they're coming over your house and they're taking your stuff, like that might be, that might, that's not what I'm referring to. But if your friend is gifted at something, you don't try to rob them of that talent. If you by chance are friends with royalty, you don't say, hey, I don't want to take advantage of your house on the lake or you know, their, your, your yacht. Like, no, I, when I'm with you, I want you to deny your wealth. Like, no, we're just like, well, all right, sure, I'm all in, I'm glad we're friends. Right? You to let them be who they are. You don't try to change them. Now, we, there is a sense, and I don't want to break it all down, but there is a sense that we make each other better, right? Because Ginger's the hospitality. I'm not. She's making me better. I don't want her to change, but I need to change in that area. But when you are with somebody, the desire in the relationship is that the relationship works because we're all thriving at our individualness and we're learning to love and communicate to one another. So here's the thing. If you are friends with the Lord of the universe, why would you not want your friend to be the Lord of the universe? There's a moment in movies that a lot of times this comes to like a little visual picture. And this is a really bad illustration, but I just got to say it because I love Thor. Not not in a weird way, but I, I love Thor. Like, he's in the Marvel, like, he's one of my favorite characters. And there's a scene where Thanos' armies are getting ready to try to overtake the in, entire, um, uh, oh, why, why can't I think of Black Panther's home right now? Thank you, Wakanda. I knew it had a W. I'm like, it's not Wonka. I'm like, it's Wakanda. Like, they're, like so the shield is down like in they're, they they're, they're just testing the shield and they're trying to get through and hulk is scared and he's in an iron man costume and he's running through the field but then lightning shows up in the field and the hulk says and i'm going to edit it you guys are in trouble now because he knew that the thunder and the lightning meant thor was coming in and he didn't even know that he had a new hammer 
and that he was just going to swing it and like thousands of aliens were dying. Like he just knew because of his friendship with Thor that Thor was going to come and Thor was going to be Thor. He didn't show up and say, hey, look, I'm Hulk hiding in an Iron Man costume. I'm trying to be something that I'm not. He's like, I want you right now to be fully you. And you and I are friends with the Lord of the universe. Why would we ever not want him to be the Lord of the universe? If he spoke us into creation, if he brought us to life, if he gave us everything that we have and that we see or that we can imagine, why would we want him to only be human in our presence? Let him be himself. Tim Keller was sharing in a sermon that I was watching this summer because after Tim Keller passed, I really was grieving. Like he was a spiritual, like uh, like a father figure to me. And his passing and fight with cancer just brought up a lot of emotion in me due to my story and and um, and people that I've loved. And and I was listening to one of his teachings, and in that teaching, he like if you know Tim Keller at all, he loves old people, old dead people, old dead theologians, old dead Christians, like he's constantly quoting from people that used to live. And one of the stories that he was telling was a time when Elizabeth Elliot was talking about her little brother and his relationship to the family. And in relationship to the family, the mom, Mrs. Elliot, would say to the kids, you have to pick up your toys when you're done playing with them before you can do anything else. Parents, it is possible. Hard, but possible. But she was trying to make this a family pattern. Now, mind you, they were poor, so a lot of the toys for them were paper and bags and rocks and sticks and things like that. It wasn't like Toys R Us had just brought all this stuff to their home. I mean, there was a poverty sense to this conversation. But her little brother went to the piano for his piano practice and starts playing the piano, which, by the way, they were strong Christian people. And so guess what he was playing on the piano? It was M's. And so he's playing hymns of praise to God, and Miss Elliot walks in and says to him, you left your toys out. And his response was, but mom, listen, I'm, I'm playing songs of praise to Jesus. And her response to him was, is you can't sing praises to Jesus when you're being disobedient. Okay, that's the setup for John 16. So in John 16, we have this moment, and this is why I entitled this um, particular teaching, uh, I think uh, for some reason it's friends, help is on the way, is um, Jesus knew that in order for us to maintain friendship with the Lord of the universe and and treat him as the Lord of the universe, we were going to need help. Now, we're getting ready to get into the Christmas season. How many of you love getting gifts? Oh, wow. I'm the only one. I actually have two hands up. Like, I love Christmas. Love Christmas. My wife is the best at providing a Christmas experience to our family and our children. Like, they they might not want to be with us most days or some days, but they are like, listen, I don't care if married and I have 12 children, we're going to be with you guys because mom just does Christmas. But I remember growing up as a kid, there were times where my parents had resources, didn't have resources. But I remember one Christmas when it kind of felt a little light, if you know what I mean. I'm like, my brother and I blew through our, our 
paper boxes and we were going through things and I'm like, this doesn't quite feel like you guys were all in this year. I, I, sorry, I'm just being honest. Like, is that okay? Like, and I can remember the look on my brother and I's faces when my parents turned to us and said, yeah, there is one more. And we looked at each other with excitement and they said, you need to go next door to Mr. Brill's house and look in her shed. So we left our house, ran over to her shed and opened it up. And in there were two brand new bikes, not just bikes. These were off like pedal bikes, not like motorbikes. I was like six or seven years of age. And this bike got me in a lot of trouble, by the way. But um, this bike was in there and we were just like, yes, this is what I needed. Can I just tell you guys, that's what is happening from John 15 into John 16. This walk with Jesus is like, listen, I have given you a lot of information. I have unwrapped these spiritual gifts to you. I've been unfolding information to you out of my love for you. But let me just tell you, I have saved the best for last. And so in John chapter 16, he says to them in verse 1, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Church. I've wanted to abandon my faith. So if we're honest, I am imagining that you've wanted to abandon your faith. And if we have agreed in honesty because we're in relationship shoulder to shoulder, oh, you too? You too have wanted to abandon your faith? You too? Like Jesus knew we would have this experience. He knew that we would be shoulder to shoulder looking at this world and just saying, oh my, this is hard. And, gave, and Jesus gave us a laser-focused gift so that when we would look at each other and say, you too, we wouldn't be alone in that you too. He would be like, listen, the right person is with you, in step with you to help you get to where you need to go. For you will be expelled from synagogues and the time is coming when those uh, who kill you will think that they're doing a holy service to God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, like he wasn't telling them about a possibility. He was telling these disciples. Now, mind you, we all don't have the same fate as these disciples. Some of us are going to live what it seems like silver spoon lives where we don't ever get kicked out of anything. And it seems like the carpet just rolls out and prosperity heads ahead of us. But that's not the story for all of us. We hit real hardships. But in John 16, he's saying, I'm telling you these things now because they are going to happen. And I want you to remember that I warned you. Because, guys, let me tell you this. I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. He's warning us ahead of time so that we would have the skills in our relationship to maintain our relationship with the creator of all things. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me and not to one of you. Excuse me. And not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you're grieving because of what I've told you. So he's like, snap out of it. You're grieving about something that I'm actually going to solve for you, but yet you're not focused on the right thing, and I want you to focus on the right thing, and the right thing is instead, I, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The best gift won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, listen to this, he will convict the world of sin. Can I tell you this, brothers and sisters? 
We need to be convicted of our sin so that we don't live in disobedience because when we live in disobedience, we're not being obedient to whom? To God, Jesus, our Father in heaven, however you want to describe it. Because if you and I are disobedient, very likely we're not going to be living in the power of a relationship. And if we live in the power of a relationship, we can get through things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to get through. But, the, but Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit was going to need to come and convict us and the world and governments and like everything about what's happening around us from my heart to yours to the greater world needs the Holy Spirit here so that you and I can feel conviction so that we confess our sins, so that we maintain that powerful link to the person that calls us friend. And that's the all in all, one and only God of the universe in three persons, in perfect relationship, in harmony, that birthed us out of love. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. If we jump down, verse 12, this, this is so much more. There's so much more that I want to tell you, which is really what I feel like I want to say to you, but I need to stop. But you can't bear it now, but I think you could. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Guys, we've talked about this literally for a year and a half. There's a war for your mind. And the spirit of the living God is here so that you focus on truth and not lies. The spirit of the living God is when you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking about yourself, he's there to tell you the truth and not the things that people are saying to you or the world is saying to you. He's really telling you the truth. But we need to listen to that truth rather than the lies that are being told to us. And the only way we can do that is when we maintain that type of fellowship and that relationship. He will not speak on his own. So Jesus is saying to these disciples that this spirit that is better for you isn't even going to say anything to you that Jesus hasn't himself said to the Spirit. And so it's like this weird thing happening where the Father and the Son are in this place that we refer to as heaven or in eternity, and they're talking to each other, but the Spirit has a way of getting in the time and space and making it personal. And so they're talking, and then the Spirit comes and advocates for us personally based upon our circumstances so that we know what to do in our circumstances to look like Jesus in the world. And Jesus says all of this before we're ever tempted to do something else. Like he said, this was going to happen. This is what I'm going to do about it. And if you stay connected to me, this is how you'll win. This is how you'll stay strong in your relationships. But if you neglect this, you will not have this. Type. So in verse 31, it says, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? Like, what a great question for you in here today. I don't know all of you. Like, we're a small group of people, but I don't know all of you. But do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in this God that's three in one that birthed us out of love, but this world through sin has been trying to destroy his image and destroy the image in us, but the image in us is one of friendship. And God has wanted to be our true friends from the beginning, and he's wanting to be our true friends now, and he's even provided a helper to help us have true friendship. That's the truth. And we need to create space for that. And he says at the very end in verse 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Guys, listen, we need peace. You and I need peace. And the key to that peace is realizing that God of the universe wants to be our friend. And that friendship requires obedience. Not because he's an ogre God, but you obey your friends. 
And that, that obedience is one of love because we're letting our friends be who they are and we have connection through friendship to the Lord of all. So these disciples in the next chapter through Jesus' prayer are going to realize that they get to pass this truth on to all the disciples that will ever follow after him. So some 2,000 years later in disciple making, you and I have the same promise. You and I get a chance to interact with the spirit of the living God so that we can maintain friendship with the one and only God. Let's pray. Father, right now I ask in the name of Jesus that whatever needs to remain in this conversation stays with my brothers and sisters. Father, you have given us an amazing gift, not at random. It's intentional, laser-focused intention because you knew what was coming and you gave us what we needed. And so, Father, as I just try to process that myself, Father, I just stand in your presence in front of my brothers and sisters. And I just say, God, please help me be obedient. Father, I pray that we would be obedient. Because we agree that you formed us in love. And your power was only on display because you wanted to share your love. We don't understand power that's not corrupted, God. So we have a hard time understanding that you have all power, but it's not corrupt. And you used your power to create friendship and relationship and intimacy with more. And everything that the evil one has tried to do is try to get us to believe anything but that. So, Father, today I pray that my brothers and sisters in this space would know that they are friends of God. And with that friendship, Father, there's a benefit because our friend, when we let him be who he is, is the Lord of all. So, Father, we ask this week that we would treat you like your Lord of all. And, Father, we thank you for your words of love and friendship towards us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. And guys, as we get ready to sing this closing song, we're going to come to the Lord's table during it. But we're also going to create space for you to pray. Some of you might want to pray with somebody. We'll have some people from our prayer team on the back wall with a little prayer lanyard. And if you need to pray with them for any reason, please, I encourage you to pray. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you to say, Jesus, I accept your friendship. Jesus, you are my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. And if that's you today, I would encourage you to let somebody on our prayer team know that. Let me know that. But when you're ready, I would love for you to come to the Lord's table because here is the greatest picture of a friend laying their lives down for another friend. Here's my body broken, poured out for you. Here's my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, and by the way, I want you to live this way for others. So we come to the table every Sunday as a reminder that this is Christ's love, no greater, ever. But this is the, now the measure for which you and I should live for one another, broken and poured out so that others may live. And so would you please stand with me as we get ready to sing this song? And Father, I ask right now as we come to the table together, as we respond in prayer, as we respond in song, Father, I ask that this bread and this cup 
that as we take it, Lord, that we do this in remembrance of you, that we do this, Father, as a reminder of the, 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 the friendship is to be expanding to others in the same way it was given to us through a life laid down for another. So, Father, I pray that today we would understand what walking in obedience looks like with you. So, Father, now we sing. Father, we want to say with our mouth and our words together that you alone are worthy. We want to say thank you. We want to say we love you. We want to praise you. But we also want to lift up our prayers to you, Father, because there's things right now that are heavy on us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to both praise and lament, to thank you and offer requests. And we do that together now through this song. And it's in Jesus we pray. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching, and may God's grace and peace be with you.